Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Working Class Bowhunter Podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. I think I left about 4, No one honestly really cares. Steve's calling me while I'm holding <laughs> getting ready for this deer to stand up. So. Glad you took this deer out. He doesn't even drive American. <laughs> See, that deer's what's exactly what's wrong with this country, right? He doesn't even support local American-made deer-compatible vehicles. <laughs> that one that one arrow cost me $33,000. Just aiming too long and just moved a little bit and it's like oh no it fired you know crap i knew as soon as it left it was just a little high but he came right out in the field made a scrape right in the cornfield started grunting walked 30 yards made another scrape you're listening to the working class bow hunter that's right this is the podcast for billy joe lunch bucket the working man just like me and you my name's travis t-bone turner from the bone collector thank you for tuning in If you're hearing our voices right now, that means you're listening to the finest bow hunting podcast ever out of Illinois, specifically Sherard, Illinois, right here at 1600 Buck Slayer Place in the Buckatorium. We are the Working Class Bow Hunter Podcast. My name's Steve. Sitting in this room with me is Kurt, Eric, and Mark Reif. And, uh, man. What's up, is, everyone? It's <laughs> chilly in here. It's such a difference. It's not hot. It's chilly. It feels like deer hunting weather. Everybody's pumped up, man. Yeah, all the crops <laughs> coming out here in the Midwest and Illinois, especially Illinois. In, uh, in Iowa, in wherever, Iowa, yeah. wherever yeah. Eric's at. Um, yeah, definitely <laughs> felt like deer season this morning, nice and frosty. And oh, it's amazing! I it, wish I was in the woods today, but it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I know it, it's going to have to be uh, Saturdays and Sundays for these boys, and uh, everyone can relate to that. And uh, it sucks, but hang in there. Your time will come. You'll, yep, you'll get yep, one. Yep. Especially if you listen to the show, it's good luck. It's just oh, the way it is. It really is. Everybody uh, that has told us they're a fan of the show has had uh, great success. And hey, you know, David Lindsay was just on, and yeah. you see the monster he oh, shot. Man. I think it was amazing. A pig. Oh was my huge. gosh! Yeah, nuts. So I talked to Michael Pitts today too. He's like, I got to get back on, and get me some good luck. Oh, yeah, we love <laughs> Pitts. We'll have to have him on again. So <laughs> yeah, but, we're um, yeah we're we're hanging in there. Deer season's in full swing. You know, we're cranking these podcasts out for you. We love every minute of it. Just want to give a special thanks to everybody who's helping us out there. Uh, HHA Sports, go to hhasports.com, hashtag single pin nation. Don't forget to uh, share that on any social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You might as well hashtag working class bow hunter too. Yeah, that. you might as well. Just throw it in. Uh, Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing. They've been a, they've been a big supporter of uh, of us for a very long time, almost seems like since day one, and they're killing it this year already. They're, yeah, already you know, mm-hmm. fifteen, sixteen days in, whenever it is, and man, he's got like what eighty deer or something already. Oh, he's yeah. probably have more seventy five uh, the other day. I, when I'm I getting the edge to take a deer there. Mm, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I might have, I, I might have to shoot one. <laughs> I hate to <laughs> take I, it there. I hate to say if it's brown, it's down this weekend, yeah. but uh, that's mm-hmm. not true. I won't shoot anything. But uh, <laughs> I got a couple of doe tags burning a hole in my yeah. pocket. Hey, so. I smoked a. Uh, raccoon on the way here so i got an itch i need to scratch it you drew know? first blood <laughs> uh and uh badlands packs man 
I've been tearing my monster pack up, and it's been holding up really, really well. I'm very, very impressed. Guys, go check out uh, go check out everybody. The aforementioned. Uh, maybe that just means one. I don't know. I'm not very good at grammar, but what <laughs> I am very good at is letting you guys know that um, this show really couldn't be possible without the vets. Um, all the veterans over there fighting and bringing this podcast to us in English. So um, we always give a shout-out to Dark Horse Lodge. Go check them out. It's a peaceful retreat for combat veterans. Um, they're going to be, looks like, in Tennessee, and they're working with the DNR down there. It's so you'd be able to hunt, you know, fish, hang out, catch up with some buddies. They could use some donations, so check out their website, darkhorselodge.org. Um, if you're going to go to Amazon, go to smile.amazon, and a portion of what you buy will go to the Dark Horse Lodge as long as you select them so go check that out again thank you all the vets that uh help us do this podcast in english and hopefully not in russian anytime soon but i can't learn a new language no i can't so yeah it's just not during deer season no just no. yeah but definitely just put, not put me to sleep man <laughs> yeah, i, I, I got nothing on that <laughs> i was gonna do a social media shout out real quick but uh for some reason my phone does not want to cooperate um Give me a moment here. Continue entertaining our listeners, please. <laughs> okay, yeah. We have a um, very special episode today, don't yeah, we? Yeah, it will be very entertaining. We've got the man himself, John Dudley, making a return. Mr. Uh, Dud. Duds no. uh, from Knock On uh, TV. <laughs> Dude, the guy's been killing it with everything he's been doing. He's been absolutely blowing up lately. And did you notice he blew up right after he was on our podcast? <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, he did happened. our podcast, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's doing Joe <laughs> he's Rogan. Famous. and. You know, he's got a lot of stuff going on, so we're going to try and get uh, as much out of him as we can. Because I'm sure Joe Rogan was like, man, I saw I saw John Dudley on Working Class Bowhunter. I yeah. need him on my <laughs> Oh, I got to have that guy. We're the trendsetters, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is a social media shout-out. I know we've done uh, this guy before, but I was going through some old emails, making sure we didn't miss anything, and um, I found an email that he had sent, I don't know, a few months ago, huh. and it just cracked me up. Like, It, it started off, I think it was, I, I have a fever, and the only... What, I don't know. He's basically like, I have a fever, and, and the prescription is more podcasts uh, <laughs> yeah, or, awesome. or whatever. And, that's classic. Um, on Instagram, uh, shaky underscore leaf. Oh, and, that guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The email I, I read the other day, and I responded to it when I was in Canada, and I must have forgot about it just because I was go, go, go up there working. And I just, I don't know, it cracked me up again that's when funny. I read it. It was awesome. But uh, <laughs> shout out to him. Thanks for listening, and uh, good luck to you this season. But Yes, yeah, so um, Mr. Shaky, legal name Leaf. Yeah, so, well, we can get uh, Mr. John Dudley on here, and uh, Let's get him on, I'm talking. sure we'll all learn a thing, or I'm, well, we're going to learn a thing. Yeah. We'll learn a lot, I imagine. We always do with this guy. He's so full of knowledge. And, He's uh, like an encyclopedia. Oh, whoa. whoa. <laughs> encyclopedia? Yeah. All right, yeah, one. maybe we should open one of those and learn new words. <laughs> That's a dictionary. I'm not, that's just for all of us. Well, <laughs> well you do one, then the other. Huh? All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll get John Dudley on here, and uh, we hope you enjoy. All right, on the phone with us, we've got uh, John Dudley, who, uh, John Dudley, just want to say congratulations. It looks like you were having an awesome, awesome year. How you doing? <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks. Thanks for the intro. Yeah, so far, so good. I always, I always uh, feel a little bit weird bragging about success for hunting, but I'm definitely happy to, uh, to be successful, that's for sure. We all are, I think. Yeah, it's, <laughs> hey, no, no, this is your time to time to brag. I mean, you know, there's just uh, everything's been going right for you this year. I mean, are you 
are, are you excited for what's to come? I mean, you know, what's going through John Dudley's mind right now other than <laughs> why did I do this podcast again? <laughs> yeah, no, what's going through my mind is um, just trying to finish getting unburied after um, being out west as long as I have. And just as soon as that unbury happens, I just want to be in the deer stand right now. I mean, I am, I really want to be hunting deer. There's some, it seems like the Midwest, um, on all the different properties that I either have, you know, hunting with buddies or whatever, it just seems like from all kinds of different states, the deer, um, population and, and the big buck sightings is growing considerably after this whole EHD um, spiral that we had a few years ago, you know what I mean? So I'm just happy that we're finally seeing big bucks, multiple bucks everywhere, and I just want to be in a stand right now. Oh, yeah, we feel you for sure. We've been working in the fields, harvesting, and yep. it's just you can't get – the weekend can't get here quick enough for us, so we're just – I've been picking corn, and every time you see a deer out, you're like, oh, I just want to be in a stand right now. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, John, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, just real quick before we get real into things here, um, you posted a quick little video about how you take pictures, um, trophy pictures, success pictures in the field by yourself. Can you kind of maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Cause, um, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I, I love – for me, the success of a hunt really comes from, you know, being able to capture the memory of that hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, which is why I started filming years ago. You know, I started out always filming myself and just really wanted to be able to remember that experience well after it was gone, and a big part of being able to have the best memories for me anyway is taking photos. And I've just, you know, I learned during the 35 millimeter days where nowadays you can take a picture and you have so much ability to like correct it and make it look good with programs versus having to get it right before, you know, back in the day when we had 35 millimeter, if you took a, even when you thought you're taking good pictures, you all of a sudden wait, for Walmart to bring your pictures back from development, you're like, oh crap! You know, by then your deer's like already been on the on the grill three or four times, and you know you kind of miss out on that memory. So I really learned how to capture my memories with with a good camera and learn the importance of learning how to use a flash. You know, how to force the flash to go off on the camera. I think a lot of people make the mistake of not using a flash and then mm-hmm. just learning how to have like some type of a portable gorillapod or tripod to be able to learn to put your camera on it and then learning to use a timer mm-hmm. or if your camera allows it um learning to set your camera to where you can use a remote control where then when you hit the button on your remote control it gives you five seconds and then takes the picture, which is what you saw on the Knock on TV Instagram account where I posted that video of, like, my antelope. You know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, um, 
super windy and kind of nasty and you know i was just trying my best to to film a recovery you know i I got the i got the the kill on camera but then you know i filmed a recovery and me taking photos and like documenting that part of my hunt actually takes way more time than the than the actual success part of the hunt so Mm -hmm. to speak and but I'm I'm just I like to be able to to share the photos that relate to the hunt. I almost I almost like that more so than the rack. Um, right. I was actually having a a conversation with Joe Rogan, and I told him I said, you know, there's there's actually times where some of the real super mature animals that I shoot, I almost wish I could. You know, I almost wish we had the ability to do, like, green hunts. You know, I always thought the the green hunt in Africa for the rhinos was so cool because, you know, you tranquilize them, and then the money that you pay for that hunt goes into those people being able to bring in vets, and the vets come in, and they take blood from the, from the rhinos, and they check them. Wow. They give them shots. They give them medicine. And they normally collar them and tag them, and then they allow you X amount of time to take pictures with the animal and, like, you know, measure the animal in case you ever wanted, like, a replica made. Uh-huh. But then but then they wake the animal up, and it walks off. Wow. So there's, a... there's times where I, I personally like the photo and the memory of the hunt more more so than the kill. I can understand that for sure because I find myself going through my pictures and just kind of replaying the the hunt in my head, but the pictures like what your buddies see, your family sees, everyone sees of that hunt, you know, for forever. That's but pitch- you're always going to have that memory, which is nice. Yeah, like my kids and grandkids are going to look at pictures of deer I shot and maybe just be like, oh, like, you know, I try to take really nice pictures now, like what you're saying, but that's interesting you mentioned the term green hunt at first i'm like i don't know what you're referring to i never i guess i've never really i never knew that yeah. either it was yeah new to me catch and release hunting <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is yeah i mean you know it's no different than than the amount of fishermen you know you look there's very few serious bass fishermen that i've ever met that would eat a bass yeah my dad right yep my they're dad, like so. oh my god you wouldn't eat a 10 pound bass yeah, I guess it's, really, it's the same thing it's if you look the, at it. Yeah, imagine if imagine if you were able to to shoot a hundred and eighty inch deer, and you know, and then if someone's like, "Well, you know what that thing would look like next year?" Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shoot him again. Yeah. And that's true, I guess. If you're looking you, at a yeah, deer, yeah, how big do you think he is? Well, he's smaller than he'd be next year. Well, yeah. Well, we'll get to see that. You know, I always yeah. thought that would be kind of cool to be able to to experience that but you know i've got to the point where a lot of um a lot of my animals that i've shot if i have really really nice photos and i'm able to to get meat home and and be able to have you know opportunity to have a really good meat processor or you know be able to get the bulk of the meat home there's been a lot of hunts where i've just like donated the horns or the racks to like you know i've had a few camera guys in the last few elk seasons 
that have come on elk hunts with me, and it was their first ever elk hunt, and they were just like so taken by how cool of hunting, how cool hunting was. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh my gosh. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't really need another set of elk horns at home. (laughs) If I'm taking, like, if I'm taking my Yeti cooler stuffed full of back straps, like I'm, and I've got some really cool picks, I'm, I'm really jacked with that. So yeah, my last, uh, my last several elk racks, um, I know I've given to my camera guys. Just, That's cool. You know, like, That's hey, awesome. That is cool. You know, it's a good remember reward. Remember this hunt, dude. You know, yeah. remember this hunt, and you know, yeah, because they were elk hunting type thing. Yeah, they were part of that experience too, because it, it kind of gives them something to look forward to. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah they worked just as hard for it. Well, that's what sure, I was going to yeah. say earlier too. If you look at a deer mount on the wall, and you you know down in the future from now, well, Grandpa shot that. Well, they just see a deer on the wall and heard about it. Whereas you have the pictures. This is his actual hunt, mm-hmm. and then that yep. makes more of the story. It's a deeper, yeah. a deeper connection with yeah. that past hunt that happened. And uh, yeah. I think so. I think so. But that's just me. Some people are probably like, "Yeah, you're dumb. I want the rack." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's both sides, but I think you know the photo. It's it can get passed around and sent it captured, around. And it, it captures everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned uh, your Yeti and uh, never forgetting. Well, I just got my first Yeti uh, tumbler, thirty ounce. And uh, I'm never going to forget that day. So, <laughs> so, you know, some guy yeah, gets, uh, you know. As soon as you try to drink your coffee 20 minutes after you pour it and yeah. burn your face off, <laughs> you're like, oh, wow, yeah, it does stay hot. I haven't put any hot liquids in it, but I've put a lot of, a lot of cold liquids in it. I'm excited to see how hot it can stay. You know, if I could put it in, make it 40 minutes to the tree stand, and then get it up there. <laughs> uh, well, hey, John, I'm, what I wanted to talk about moving on is uh, your release. And I want to talk about the benefits of the release and uh, hunting with that release. If you kind of touch on that a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm just going to do a foreclosure here or a forewarning. I was supposed to do my own podcast today. And <laughs> I, uh, I think time got out of hand, so I didn't do it. And I can tell you the one order I got from Sharon, she said, don't, talk about that release today because they haven't come in yet <laughs> she's like Next i can't question. keep up with these lists right. so i'm like I, I won't mention it so you mentioned it so i'm not technically doing something against the rules so <laughs> oh, um, well we're gonna get you in trouble john <laughs> yeah well no the the release it's it's i'm actually really taken by how well it's been accepted um, because, you know, several companies, have they've come out with releases that are a two-finger model, but I just don't think anyone ever really explained what the benefits were. And more importantly, there was a few things that I had always wanted in a release that I could never get people to do because, quite frankly, most companies nowadays, they'll they'll take their concepts to a major you know, a major distributor or a Cabela's or a Bass Pro, and they pretty much just say, here's our concepts. And then those buyers have control on what the rest of us get on the market because they're like, well, I don't like the looks of that. We're not going to order it. And, you know, if they're not going to order a container load of it, then 
a lot of these things go on the back burner, you know, and that's why it's unfortunate, but that's why, you know, there's times where people will see me wearing some Under Armour samples on my social media and they're like, where can I get that? And it's like, well, we were all going to get it, but, you know, Cabela's wouldn't order it. But wouldn't order enough to justify bringing it on the market, so it it just ends up getting sidelined. Hmm. Um, with my release, I just know from competitive shooting, all of my during my best years as a competitor, I shot a small little release that Carter had made a very very small run of. They only made, I think they made like twenty five of them, cool. and it was called a two special. And I love that release, and I took it. Was, I actually shot my my first um, my first U.S. team tournament with that release, and everyone was just like, "What is this thing?" And a few people were like, "Oh, I I got one of the you know I've met a few people that said I got one of those or I saw one of those in my shop," uh-huh. and I actually just started buying them, and in the end, um, I ended up. I think I still have 12 of them, so I almost bought half of the <laughs> half of what the batch was because I liked it so much and no one made them and no one wanted to. So then, um, you know, fast forward like 10 years, I was telling Jerry at Carter Releases, I said, Jerry, I really feel like if you made the Carter-style release, but if it would close when you cock it so you don't have to, like, flip it open cock right. it then close it right. i said if you didn't have to do that i said i think a lot more hunters would want this release because you can just cock it and it closes on your loop and then it's just sitting there hanging on your easy hanger yeah you know it's on your bow when your bow's on the easy hanger well you know we we ended up coming up with with the release um the two simple and the simple one, and they were all auto-closing jaws, and they really started doing really well. Well, then I kind of went back to the same thing. I love the fact that this closes, but I would really like to go to my two-finger style. So he actually, he said, I'm going to make you two of them. He said, and I'm just making them, I'm just going to make them for you. So he made me two, and he ended up calling them the duds. And... <laughs> I don't, it's kind of ironic, it ain't it? supposed <laughs> to be like a subliminal message or something, and he just said, I don't think we would ever sell any. <laughs> so I ended up saying, well, and the, and the original, the duds were not auto-closing. They were kind of a different design, but I liked certain aspects of it. I liked how the third finger was able to either be on the release or you could drop it off the release if you wanted mm-hmm. and just shoot with two. But, you know, the less fingers you have on a release, it's similar to like, you know, people shoot narrower grips and they like a smaller grip because the less, the less you have in your front hand, the less you can torque the bow. The same is true with your release. The less manipulation you have on the release aid with one, the angle that you're twisting the release. So, like, when you draw back, sometimes your hand can be flat, then sometimes your pinky can be vertical up in the air. Mm-hmm. All that difference in angle changes your left and right impact, and the more vertical you get, the more it can change. Um, it can 
start to change your up and down. Now, the other thing that you can do with the release aid that changes things is what I call the rocking position. And the rocking position is when you start to manipulate your pinkies, like further back in your palm, where your index finger is further forward than your pinky, or if you start to make your hand rotate the rock the other way, where your index finger is further back than what your ring finger or your pinky are, that rocking motion will then change how the hook of your release it sits on the loop of your bowstring. So okay. that will start to change your ups and downs. So with my release, the knock to it, what I did was I went to two fingers, which as soon as you drop fingers off, you eliminate your ability to rock. Mm-hmm. And you also, because you have less fingers on the release, more naturally, you're going to manipulate your angle less as well. When you only have two fingers, you, it's a lot easier to just draw back and have your index finger right under your jawline and your middle finger right above your jawline. It just feels natural. Your other two fingers are dropped off. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the other two fingers are on a release, well, then you kind of start to, since they're forward, a lot of people want to start to feel those fingers, so they start to twist their hand more vertically. And in my opinion, the shorter your D-loop, the more torque you start to put on your bowstring, and it starts to affect your group. So I came out with this release, which has a few things that I used to custom build on my original Carters, and one of them is a heavier cocking spring. So the heavier cocking spring on the knock to it also helps drive that jaw open faster. So you have a lot less opportunity for um, for like what's called a hang fire, which is when your loop is hanging on the hook of the release as it's coming off. The longer it's hanging on there, the more opportunity it has to have a misdirection. Um, so I have a heavier cocking spring. And the other thing too, was I actually had the angle of the hook, which goes on your loop when it's cocked, the angle of the hook is actually on an angle. It's on an offset. It's not perfectly flat. Mm -hmm. So what that does is it's angled to where it, it's almost like a ramp and it causes your loop to slide to the side of the hook that opens off the casing first. Mm-hmm. So as soon as, you know, your loop is always channeled to the one edge of the hook, so as soon as it opens, it's coming out. So you've literally got a faster opening jaw. You've got less ability to manipulate your angle, your rock, and you've almost eliminated any opportunity for hang firing. So. Wow. Um, That's a lot of thought process into this release. (laughs) Sounds great. John, I just feel like all this stuff gets overlooked by the average archer. Even the the people that are into it and want to be accurate, it's – they just don't know this stuff, and I just got to mm-hmm. thank you for your knowledge, man. Because oh, yeah, that's awesome. that's incredible. I'm sitting here trying to process all this. I'm like, I never even thought about half of this stuff, yeah, yeah. and it's such valuable information. It's incredible. Absolutely. Well, that's the beauty of um, podcasts is you can play it back. Yeah, right. yep. you can yeah. always you go can back go and right listen back to it. With it. Yeah. So, um, 
No, a lot goes into that stuff. Honestly, um, a lot of people are there's a there's just a difference in level of archers. You know, there's right. It's just like you look at. I have several friends that are that that have done jujitsu for a long time, mm-hmm. and and I know they're like and I know they're like black belts, but then if I talk or listen to like Rogan talk, it's on a whole new level. Like it's it's on you know it's on a level that's that's above that. Where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, the people that I know that I would think are like awesome. They would listen to him, and they're learning. They're like, "What? They're learning." <laughs> right. And then you get someone like Eddie Bravo to where he's like at a different ninja level too. I love that guy. I yeah. love Eddie Bravo. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and it's hard to unless you've lived and experienced so many different aspects. I mean, it's hard for me to put on paper to people how many countries I've been in, you know, if I say, when I say I've traveled a million miles for archery, I'm not, I mean, you know, Jim Shockey's probably done millions of miles oh, too, yeah. but mm-hmm. I've done millions of miles in, you know, I've seen almost every archery club throughout Europe. You know, I've been, I've been in tournaments all over. I've shot with the best archers in the world, um, online, on different lines on different events and, and then, you know, I've had a lot of archers that I would have considered idols mm-hmm. that have, like, come to me and started asking me questions. And then all of a sudden you realize, like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about, like, they just, they really don't know. They're just that good at shooting. They right. And they're not shooting at their potential because they just don't know. And sometimes you yeah. even wonder, well, if they didn't, like... If they did sit there and think about things like when I'm sitting there and I call and, you know, I'm like, well, okay, Hoyt just sent me a new bow. I'm going to build a new string. And then I pull it back and I'm like, well, I don't really like how that cam stacks at the end. And then it's like, well, maybe if I rebuild it with a 14,000 halo instead of a 62, you know, instead of a (laughs) 21,062X, then... You know, it's probably going to roll over a little bit smoother. I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to actually feel the bumps of that serving. But then I'm like, well, if I go to a 14 and I've got that, and I've got the the halo, you know, it's a little bit waxier. So is it going to slip more if I'm shooting it on a BCYX? Because, you know, that wax <laughs> is a little bit different. Maybe I should put it on an 8190. Gotcha. I mean, for me to sit there and explain that stuff to people, right. it's just like, I mean. It's incredible. I would just. Yeah, I, people would end up looking at me and just thinking I was Rain Man or something. <laughs> well, yeah, half our listeners just p- listen to that back again like four times. Well, <laughs> well, John, like to give you like perspective, like the different levels and, and experience and knowledge of archers, I'm a measure for the Pope and Young Club. <laughs> and last weekend I measured a deer for a guy. And, you know, Pope and Young Club's all archery. And, you know, it's a bow hunting record book. And this guy, you know, and part of the fair chase form is what bow do you shoot? Well, a guy didn't know the brand of bow and, you know, he didn't know the the brain of his own bow, but he's killing big. He killed a big deer, and then it's like I go from talking to that guy. There's everywhere in between, and then at the very top, there's John Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's like there's a there's different levels of archers, and that's kind of the beautiful thing about archery is you can involve yourself so much. Like you have like, and you just know 
I mean, you're the god of archery. I mean, and that's a compliment. I'm just you just you're the guy of knowledge of archery, and it's a beautiful thing that you share it through your podcast and with us right now on our podcast. It's it's amazing. Well, I, I appreciate you guys letting me on. You guys do a good job. We're, we don't really uh, educate as well as you do. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're too busy swilling beers to, you know, get really deep into, like, you know, ah, it just it blows my mind just the little things that you think of. And like Kurt said, you know, we just appreciate it so much, just how much thought and knowledge can help us be better shots because, you know, as soon as those uh, knock to it uh, – as soon as those releases are around, I I'm, I gotta have one. Yeah, you know, I was just I'm, thinking I'm, like, I'm gonna snag yeah. one of them. Babies. One of our yeah. one of our buddies has one, and it just it it it's the little things. You know, they always say the devil's in the details. Well, you know, if you're going through like target panic or something, you know, who knows? Maybe the thing that could have got you out of there was just the hook angle. You yeah. know, it's just I those... shot it. It was nice. Yeah, real nice. <clears throat> well, you know, I I appreciate people put me on a pedestal for that but sometimes I feel like well there's there's been times where I you know it's weird when for me it's weird when someone like that I really look up to in the industry or someone like a Joe Rogan sends me a text and says uh where's the pod where's the podcast (laughs) (laughs) right and and I and I've actually had the conversation where it's like Okay, I like doing them, but in the same sense, is this getting old to anyone? Because I feel like, you know, I'm just, like, going through all this stuff. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I like to just, I like to have conversation and have campfire talk, too. That's why I like a lot of what you guys are doing, because there's times where there is knowledge, but there's also times where you're just joking around. Right. So many of my friends they're not up at three and four in the morning when I'm doing mine and, um, and, or they're over overseas and they're at a different, you know, they're at a different country and it just gets really hard to round people up to, to do these things nowadays. And as much as I want to, the other part of it is, you know, I get these, I, I print a lot of my, um, questions i just copy and paste them just off my social sites and just copy and paste and copy and paste and when i fill two full pages i start i start going and i'm kind of afraid to have some people on because they just don't even know what to say to some of that stuff because there's not there's not that many people that are that are super inclined now i will say you know a lot of my buddies that i've you know there's a few there's a few buddies I've shot with over the years, several of the engineers at Holden, um, several of the top-end shooters. They, I'm not going to say anything that they don't know, but it, some of those people, it gets hard because when they're hired by the right company to be there and, and design, they're also hired to not go on podcasts and be able to talk too much about stuff right. that's happening. Yeah, yeah so for, like, sure, for sure. Kinda, you know, it's, not like, it's not like there are people that are that aren't smarter than me. It's just they're kind of probably have a gag order for what they can talk about because they're in design mode for, you know, for, for something sure. that's confidential. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Okay. I can understand that. And you know, like you said, it is hard to, we try to pump out our podcast once a week. I don't think I, maybe we've missed one week in the time we've been doing it, but it does get difficult with our schedules of getting guests on. And 
you know, we we just have a good time with it, uh, no matter what, and we always try and at least bring our listeners and stay on a consistent schedule and get one out of once a week at least, you know. Well, I try to do the same too, but sometimes it's like, whoa, that was three weeks ago, and then I'll crank out <laughs> two or three. Right. It's tough, it's, man. It is tough. Um, yep. Well, John, and, and you've got a lot more responsibilities than we do, you know, family, you know, out west hunting and things like that. <laughs> you know, we just, you know, some of us, well, the longest drive is 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, John, I want to transition um, into more of the hunting, um, like tis the season, um, hunting questions here that we have for you. Um, and one thing we want to ask you is like any, uh, if you can go through like your approach to early season hunting on your, on your properties or like hunting mornings early October, like maybe your opinion on that, because you know, the, the controversy like, well, wait till later October before mm-hmm. you hunt mornings because the chance of spooking a deer. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe if you could give us any tips for hunting October, um, and into the later October season. Well, there's a couple different strategies or philosophies that I have that they may be a little bit outside of the, the box. Um, one of them is this time of year, a lot of people are going to have much less sightings of good deer. Mm-hmm. And it's very common that about now people start whacking a lot of does. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I really try to to prevent that type of thing. You know, I, as much as I, I just feel like when you can get a doe that is super patternable to, especially to a food source right now, mm-hmm. that is a, a huge opportunity for you 10 days from now. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Here in the, and I'm talking in the Midwest, obviously this will, this will be later in date, the further south you go. But I just know that. Um, well, I, I, just a few days ago, I posted a, maybe I sent it to Redneck. They wanted a picture of a, of a buck that I had shot, um, with the Redneck blind. And so I sent him a picture of a buck that, that I had shot on, I think two seasons ago on the show. And it was on a small little, I'm talking like a half acre green plot and, the only thing that was ever coming to that plot when I hunted it early season and even on camera, it was like I sat it about three times. Every single time, this one big old doe came down and would just, like, come through. And this time, it, you know, when you're midway through October and you haven't seen a buck yet and you're getting an itchy finger, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm going to whack that old doe. Well, Man, that's, I just said that in the intro of this podcast. That's incredible. Yeah, well, <laughs> 10 days later, you know, ten. I saw her four times, and I never even thought about shooting that doe um, because, sure enough, you know, this, this buck that I shot, I called him Vader. I don't even know why I called him that, but he um, he ended up coming out, and you could tell he didn't want to, like, he was he was a four and a half or a five and a half year old buck, mm-hmm. and I shot him towards you know that last week of October, 
and he was just following that doe. He was an old buck that knew she was the first one that was going to be coming in, and he was just trailing her. And he came out an hour and a half before daylight, I mean, or before dark. She came to that food plot every day at the same time, and she was comfortable there. And she brought that buck right in. You know, she she brought that buck right in. There's been times in Illinois, too, where I've been there, and you, you go on a hunt, and, you know, they kind of tell you, yeah, you can certainly shoot a doe, and, you know, you have these food plots where there's 10 and 20 does coming out. Well, when those does are coming out to those food plots, it means the bucks aren't really doing their thing yet. Once the does start disappearing off the food plots, then you know that the bucks are starting to harass them, mm-hmm. and they're not wanting to be visible they're not they're not comfortable anymore yeah yeah they don't want to come out and be chased to death and they know that they're not technically in yet so there's kind of that fine line and 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 you go from having tons of does in the plot to all of a sudden there's those one or two days where something big will show up in daylight and scent check all of that major traffic on the main food source, and that's a very good opportunity. Now we got a drop call, but we're back in it here. So you're saying all the um, all the opportunity on a major food source with the does being out there. Yeah, that's that's such a, a great time to get one of the first shots at a real mature deer in the evenings, um, and. If you kind of change that whole pattern of those does being comfortable coming out, I think you just you just lessen your opportunity for success there. And then the other thing is, this time of the year, um, I had several discussions with someone who I value a lot when it comes to deer, mm-hmm. and his name is Gary Clancy. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember seeing Gary Clancy on the some of the tree. original monster buck videos yeah mark's all about that Um, life but gary was he's an awesome outdoor writer very notable up in like the minnesota area and someone that i really looked up to and he had kept a journal he's kept a journal a hunting journal his whole life so he literally has documentation of what he's seen um for his whole life on stand, what the temperature was, where the wind was coming from. Mm-hmm. And he started to notice a pattern of an what what he called an early rut, which would be right about this time of the year, around the 14th, 15th, 16th of October, he would see some rut activity on some very mature monarch does. Um, where big bucks would would be on a very old doe that was actually what he thought would be coming into estrus early. And he said, you know, if you can take, if you can seize that opportunity, you can have a good chance. Otherwise, the bucks are really slower during this time mm-hmm. until that time where I told you, where all of a sudden, there's a high number of does out in the food, and then boom, just a big one just shows up. And and normally what happens is you're kind of, you get a false sense of the rut because you're like, wow, it's on this sucker. You know, there was a big one. He was nosing everything up. He was 
bumping everything around. And then all of a sudden, once that buck kind of comes out and checks those fields for one night, maybe two, a lot of times for me, that's here in the Midwest, that's been between the 23rd of October and Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then once that happens, what, it's almost like those mature deer, they know which does will be coming in. And then they they kind of vanish. And they're gone until uh, until the, the actual true rut happens when some of those does are, are truly in. In between there, you'll see a lot of dinky bucks kind of messing around. You know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the rut's happening. I saw a buck making a scrape. I saw a buck, you know, just dogging a doe. But if that's a two-and-a-half-year-old deer, that's that's not a true indication. You know, right. when, you, when you're seeing fully mature deer, three-year-old, four-year-old deer, that are doing that and they're they're chasing a doe or even breeding a doe that is the indicator the young ones are always kind of the first ones to kind of get fired up before it's actually time mm-hmm. but you know i like to seize the opportunities for hunting low pressure stands that allow low pressure entry and exit for morning hunts during th- these next probably 10 days once that happens i'm definitely once the end of october comes around i'll i'll focus pretty heavy on food sources on the evenings i like to get those those first i want to be there for the first mature bucks to show up on major food sources with high concentrations of does Mm -hmm. and i also think it's a great time for those those bucks like to work a lot of the edges of the food sources and do a lot of, um, you know, territory marking. And then once the rut's on, then it's get somewhere thick and nasty and be there for the day. Gotcha. Yeah. I like, um, I I know, uh, Bill Winky always puts out a, um, like a weekly newsletter and it's nice because he's, you know, he's local, you know, at, he's, he's pretty close to where we are. So, you know, when he gives you the, Hey, what's going on? You know, this is the weekend you should be out. I, I always like reading that, you know, and then that's a nice indication, too, when the rut's coming. It's a lot better than the Facebook memes that'll tell you, hey, rut's here, you know, that squirrel that's always there. You know, I like I like when somebody, you know, can put it down that, you know, hey, if somebody's seeing stuff here, you know, it might be those those really early bucks. And, yeah, that's a that's really useful knowledge, you know. It's going to help a lot of guys out there, I think. Yeah, and Dudley, when you were saying, you know, quiet in and out of your stand, um, I was listening to one of your podcasts, and you said that you take a children's rake in with you and rake your trails as you leave. I thought that was an awesome tip. Which one was that? I I didn't make out that last part. When uh, you take one of those children's rakes with you to the stand, and you rake the trails of the leaves so they're the mature bucks will take a quieter path is what you said. And I thought that was an awesome tip that you gave. Yep. Um, what's funny is I was just out the last two days. And I can give you guys a couple tips. Well, you may already know them, but <laughs> during this time of the year, probably not <laughs> I do a lot of, I do a lot of prep work. I, I haven't, I can tell you this. I have not hunted one day in Iowa. You know, our season's been open, uh, I don't know what day it is today, but 
13. 13 days. <laughs> it's been open 13 days. <laughs> yep. I should have hunted today because that's my lucky number. But And I have not hunted yet. And the reason is, you know, one, I didn't have any, what I would call, I call them day walkers. And those are deer that, for whatever reason, are walking in daylight hours that are still patternable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my mature deer at this point, I have a few day walkers that I that I would like to really get a good look at to know whether or not I wanted to shoot them. But they're also in an area that is not. Um, it's not a very delicate area that enter and and go out of i mean if it if i go in there now i'm well it's evasive let's just put it that way so i'm almost like kind of weighing my chips of i kind of have a chance two of these bucks are walking in somewhat at daylight hours however if they come in after dark mm-hmm. i'm gonna give away myself like guaranteed getting right. out right so Right now, what I do is one, I I never I never do any of my prep work on a weekend, and I never do any of my prep work during hunting hours. So, you know, I'm definitely I'm not ever going to help my neighbors out. You know, <laughs> I I I went in, I took Tuesday and Wednesday off of work to go in and do some last minute touch up on my safety lines and I mowed, I mowed all my paths to my stands. I've got like a little, the other thing I have too is um just like a little hedge trimmer on like a weed eater thing. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the steel ones, you know, that you oh, can yeah. with the attachments. Yep. You can angle it. So I just angle it. So when I walk, I just trim right flush to the ground. And then when I get to the end, I'll just take my rake and then just rake my way back out. Because when I start hunting, I want to be able to just have as quiet a way in as possible. The deer will certainly start using that because it's easier, especially like in my CRP fields where I have native grasses. I've, you know, I I think one of the, the coolest little investments that you can make if you're a small property owner it's one of those um, pull behind mowers for your four wheeler and mm. and a harrow drag for your four wheeler. Like if you have those two things, you can do a lot of stuff. You know, if you have a a, feet, uh, a farmer that can disc a little plot for you, and then you can hand broadcast spread it, and then just drag it with that harrow drag, harrow, you'll yeah. get a great food plot. And then from there, you know, being able to just do some trimming and you know and, and be able to create a good path for you to go in and a good path for you to go out. Um, Those are critical components to being successful for mature deer. A lot of people don't do that. And yeah, I do have a little kitty rake. I bought it at true value. You know, it was mainly for your kid to be out in the yard raking with you. But what I like about it is I I can actually put it in my gun scabbard on my backpack. And I just like, when I go to a stand for the first time starting these next weeks, I'll take that with me, especially once the leaves start to fall. I'll go in with that with me. I'll just kind of leave it at the bottom of the tree. And then after I hunt in the morning, I'll rake my way right out in the midday. 
and then the next time I go in there is probably going to be prime rut, and I've got a perfectly quiet way to go in and out. And the other thing is, is the deer really, really start to utilize it. I well, mean, it's a, it's such a small little thing that's going to help you so much. You know what I mean? It's, a gr- it's great. I do that too. I mow all my trails. I shoot almost all my deer on a mowed trail for my tractor, and I always rake or shove stuff out of the way when it's just got done raining or it's still wet, so it's quiet to do too on your way out, so you're not raking right. dry leaves. And you know, yep, yeah, you know, it works great. One thing I wanted to get to Dudley real quick is I'm actually hunting a new property this year, and it's relatively small. Um, the main timber is maybe 20 acres at the most, and it's. It's north of a cornfield, and I have three ravines throughout this property. And I'm going in, and I'm going to hang two more. I have one stand in it. I'm going to hang two more. Three tips that you could maybe give for someone that's hunting a new property um, to basically what to look for right away. Um, Maybe, like, so there's a creek that runs through this property, and then the ravines. Is there any tips for hunting over ravines or around creeks or anything like that that you can give us? Um, or any tips in general for hunting a new property? Well, yeah, I think there's a few. One, you obviously got to look for the main. You kind of need to figure out what your particular piece is. Is it a transition area? Is it a bedding area? Or is it a destination? Because mm-hmm. that's really going to determine a lot about how, you know, if it's a transition area, then you almost don't really have to worry about not getting to the right part of the property Mm -hmm. to be sitting and waiting for deer that you intercept, which I actually really like to hunt a lot during the early part of the season. I personally like transition areas to where deer are coming or going from bedding or to food, and they're not necessarily going to be sleeping there, and they're not going to be staying there to eat. They're just coming through. You know, you're just hunt, you're hunting saddles or, you know, especially with, like, creeks and things like that. It's normally easy to find crossings. Um, what you have to be careful of, though, is a lot of times those creeks and ditches, they also start to get a little bit squirrely in the wind. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty important. I really like to have those wind floaters, you know, it's pretty much milkweed is all it is, but it's nice to be able to get to to get in a stand or, you know, I, I do a lot of my tree scouting with climbing spurs that I got off a, a lineman that um, does telephone poles. I have climbing spurs and a climbing belt. So if I have a tree that I'm like, okay, this looks like it'd be a pretty good spot, I'll actually run up the tree with my spurs and then let some of those things go. And if you see that even with the wind that you think is predominant, Mm -hmm. that those floaters are starting to get all kinds of squirrely in there, then you really, you know, that's kind of one of the tips. You you know, you got to figure out what area you're in. Are you in bedding? Are you in transition? Are you in food? And then you have to figure out what can I do to have the least impact for scent? And... Once you've determined those things, then you're going to set your stand locations. You might not be able to be on the best trail there because the because the wind swirls. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is I think a lot of people overlook this. 
is whenever you set up a hunting spot, always have one alternative stand for a south wind or an east wind. Mm. Very few people like actually take the time to create a secondary stand for a non-preferred wind. Even if you may only hunt it twice per year, I can tell you that if you're hunting a very mature deer, if there's two times that you go in and say, well, the wind isn't totally right, but if he comes from this way, I could still get away with it. Right. It's you're a, rolling yeah. the dice. You're rolling the dice. And if it if it truly is a mature buck, that's it. Yeah, like, he's going to know you're right done. away. Yep. Yeah, you're done and you're pegged. So, you know, some of the best stands on my particular place, I've come to find out, are stands that I actually set up for an east wind, which is very hard to come by. And right. I set them up mainly as a backup plan. But then once I sat it, I'm like, dang, do I see some deer here? Because they, you know, they're feeling so comfortable coming out. And I'm thinking, you know, if I would have hunted this with 300 degrees different wind, no matter where it was coming from, I would have never saw anything here. Like this is, this is perfect for that. So a lot of people don't set up for the, for the, the, you know, the low percentage wind. And a lot of people forget to set up a really dynamite late season spot for a south wind. And I think having a great south wind stand during the late season, because there's always some, even though it's cold and, and nasty, some of the biggest weather change days during the late season always come with that south wind and right in front of it when there's great movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good tip. And that's, you know, that's one thing I'm definitely going to uh, consider is what the wind does when I go into these ravines. And if not I, a lot of people think of an east or south wind, though, because it hardly ever happens. Right. Yeah. Very rare. Well, the thing is, John, so. Would you recommend, say, I go down in these ravines, and this is probably a good tip for our listeners also, because there's a lot of ravines. If, you know, sitting down in the ravine, your wind is going to do some squirrely stuff. The best place, would you say, is to set a stand would be at the peak of that ditch or the ravine to where the wind's not going to have as big an impact going through the valley or going over the valley and, like, hitting the, what do they call it, like, where the water swirls in, in a creek? Um, yep. Yeah. I can't yeah, think of the name really right now, but. Yeah, I don't know either. They call them a tide pool or something? Yeah, where the, where the water just sits there and swirls, the wind kind of will do the same thing yeah, and cause the wind to do crazy stuff underneath it. I don't know if that makes sense or not. but um, Yeah, well, it does. It does. And the other thing, too, you have to remember is, and a lot of Western hunters learn, is they learn about the inversion. And they learn that, you know, in the morning and evenings, the, walk, the air is always going down. So it gets tough, you know, when you're trying to get above elk at first light because your wind is going down. Even if the forecast is calling, you know, for a wind straight out of the west, that wind could be coming straight down from the east at first light before that air flips over. And you have to learn that about your spots because if you have a spot where it does blow down that creek a certain way when the air is super cool. 
mm-hmm. then you may have to like utilize that spot more for like what I call a gentleman's hunt, and that is midday hunts where you go in and you actually start hunting at you know eight or nine o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and you hunt from eight or nine till one, and you're not going in at first light. You know, you kind of wait. You go in there when you know you're not going to blow everything out of those certain areas because, you know, there's certain spots that, well, I, you know, I even put this to use on my elk hunt um, two weeks ago. There were spots where we knew where the elk bedded every morning, but you also, and you kind of knew where the elk were feeding and they were miles apart, but it would be easy to say, well, I'm just going to go I'm just going to go up to that bedding and be up there. And when it gets light, I'm going to wait for everything to come in. The problem is you don't know what all you pass or what all you blow out going Mm -hmm. in that spot. So we would wait till daylight. And, you know, once daylight started, you start to realize, oh, crap. Yeah, we would have freaking blown out like, you know, two different harems trying to hike up those four miles to get up there you know it's almost a bummer because you're starting out late and you feel you know you kind of worry about it but there's certain spots where you need to you need to play it smart and and weigh out what is going to do the least amount of damage to this place you know like i said i don't want to be i don't want to be my neighbor's um best friend for hunting you know, I don't want them to be more successful because of my stupidity. Absolutely. You know? Makes right. a lot of sense. And, and small pieces of property like that, which I feel like I've got to where I am as a hunter in in the industry by have by that's all I used to have. You know, when I when I lived in Wisconsin and started, you know, kind of started my DVDs and started filming the first few seasons I own 10.03 acres, you know, and and even back then, Bill was just, you know, Winky was just getting his Midwest Whitetail thing going, and I remember he had called me and he said, hey, I'm trying to find someone in Wisconsin that, he's like, I would love to have someone that has success on like a super small piece of property, and he's like, you're always shooting deer on, on 10 acres, and I said, yeah, and it, you know, you learn... I know you can do it if you're in the right spot, especially if it's a transition spot. Those are almost the best spots for small acreage. And the first piece, the first property I ever bought that was not not where my home was, it was a, a 40 acre piece, and it was literally right dead in between two big farms. And it was, you know, it was. There was no place to put food. There was no place to have CRP. There was no place to have water. But it was on a it was on a ridge that connected two big pieces of property, and it was just a transition area, and it made it nice because you could just whichever way the wind was blowing, you went in on the safe side, and you just spent time there. And you know, coming up here in a few weeks, those those mid to late morning hunts are going to start producing and especially this year because our moon our moon is going to start to be less favorable here really quick like tonight the moon was a perfect position for an evening hunt 
it was already about 30 degrees off the horizon, like 30 to 45 minutes before dark. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, that full moon is going to be coming up probably right close, probably within 30 minutes of dark. You're going to have almost a harvest moon coming up, um, which is a good. The next two nights are very good evening opportunities, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 14th and 15th are kind of some good picks for my days. But other than that, you know, we're going to have we're going to have a very bright moon moving into this pre-rut time frame, which is going to mean, you know, some of those late morning hunts are, are going to actually be a little bit more productive. I think earlier in the rut, um, than, than, you know, last year or in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I love doing those hunts where, you know, if, for whatever reason, you, your kids have a swim meet on a Saturday and you have to go to that. Next thing you know, it's 9.30 but before they're done. I mean, don't be afraid to get in a stand. If you can get into a thick area or like those creeks like you're talking about or mm-hmm. any of those beans, if you can get in there at 10 o'clock, you're going to have a more consistent wind and you're also going to have a good opportunity for one of these huge bruisers to come cruising through, and you're probably going to be much more alert getting in there later and kind of being on your toes for three or four hours versus, you know, trying to grind it out for 12, 13-hour days. Right. Absolutely. So say, say, okay, it's late October, and I decide I'm going to sleep in a little bit, and I get rested. I go out, like you're saying, go – not right. I'm not. It's not dark, but it's not full blown daylight. Is that a good time to sneak in and sit till what time? Do you think would be a good time to sit in in this in this creek bottom in the timber? I mean, I know it's kind of rough, and I'm generalizing um, pretty bad here, but it, just rule of thumb. What would you kind of recommend for me to do that? And would you sit there till dark, or would you sit there to a certain point and then switch and head to another spot, or what do you think there? Well. Um, I know it's super general, but I guess it's, you know, I had a years ago, I had a buddy of mine come up to hunt with me kind of during that pre rut first week of the rut time of year. And he kept, he'd go out in the morning and by nine thirty he was calling me saying, Hey, you know, I haven't seen much. And at about the third day, I literally picked him up and I was bringing him back and I was putting him in my best spots. And I said, Jason, I know you're a deer hunter. I'm just going to tell you this time of year. I said, I can't tell you what's going to be the best spot, but you have to be in a spot. I said, you know, I said right (laughs) now, the best spot in this area could be at that guy's mailbox. Because I said, if the first hot bill of the year is there then probably the top three bucks within a half mile of of our property or any of our properties every buck is going to be on her and i was literally telling him this and i said you know i know you're bored and you haven't seen nothing all morning i said but you you have to sit in your stand and no sooner as i said that i actually came around the corner on my dead end road. And this is when I owned that 10 acres of property. I had a dead end, like just, I had a private driveway and I come around 
the corner and here's my house and my house, where my house was, it was 70 yards to the bottom where the bottom of, you know, I paved for 70 yards and then I had my mailbox down there where my mail or my mailman would put my mailbox in. And I literally look and there's, well, I have the buck standing or right over me right now. There's a 170 inch buck standing on my septic field with a doe fetted right underneath him. And this is like 9.45 in the morning. And I just said, like that. And no, as soon as I said that, I literally, like, put my truck in neutral and, like, hopped out of my truck. And I'm my truck is literally coasting into my, like, into my ditch. And I'm, I'm reaching in the back of my, my truck. I'm unzipping my case. <laughs> pulling my bow out, putting my release on, like, as the truck is, like, crashing into my mailbox and into my ditch. So you, you, and I literally, <laughs> like, stepped into my yard at full draw and shot the buck. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a and, hell of a and story And he, right like, there. gets out of the car, and he's, he's like, he goes, what would you do? And I go, I just killed that buck. <laughs> and he goes, he's like, did you shoot that thing? And I said, well, heck yeah, I shot it. See how big it was? And he goes, he's like, I got to get back to my stand. I'm like, oh, you're dragging the deer for, like, we got a deer to take care of. But, yeah, I mean, I, I had literally just told him, like, that guy's mailbox could be the best thing. And two minutes later, here's, like, a buck of a lifetime, 70 yards from my mailbox, literally, like, standing Tending the first hot doe in our area on my septic mound. Oh my you gosh! Know, it's just that would it, be the most it's epic just thing to see. Like that, you know that uh, that, to- that are just that totally that are crazy. Fit, totally fits you, my you hunting spot. You just have to be out there. That totally fits my hunting spot, John. I got to get my daughter on the bus every day, and then I sneak out <laughs> to this one spot, and it's already light. But it's a transition zone, and I know there are a few does that bet on our property. So I'll, I'll sneak in there after daylight all the time, and then I'll just sit and wait, and I'll hunt till noon or one. And I get, I tell my son that too when he goes with me. Dad, we're not seeing anything. I said, just wait, ten thirty. I promise. Sure right. enough, here they come. <laughs> oh, that's such a good story. Yeah, it's. <laughs> hey, that guy's mailbox happened to be this guy. That's just, uh, <laughs> you know, that's one of them. Uh, that that's one of the coolest, you know hunting stories out that's there probably obviously, the best one i've ever heard yeah obviously you weren't hunting but it's like you know me and uh kurt have talked about it if you ever see like any of the like read the pope and young stories of these guys on bucks i mean it wasn't like you know how it used to be where you're sitting in stands you know you're trying to you know locate a big deer you know you've got trail cams and stuff these guys are just kind of driving around happen to have a rifle in the truck and you know there's some epic stories there i mean you know i think the way that we do things is a little more ethical, but it, it's not Pope and Young stories. You're talking about like legendary whitetail stories. I thought yeah. I thought one of them was a Pope and Young. Pope, Pope well, and I was in Canada, in so. There, well, oh, no, no, no. Pope, uh, it might have been Boone and Crockett. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got those two mixed up. But uh, oh, John, I wish. I mean, we got to do more because we could talk to you for hours. We don't get through. <laughs> we have a whole list of questions we want to ask you, and we're getting out of time here, but. Thank you so much for just blessing us with your knowledge and your stories. And just this is an episode that I'm definitely going to play 
over again before I hang my stands this weekend. And uh, it sucks that the only time I have to hang a stand is on the weekend. And I'm hoping I'm not helping the neighbors out. (laughs) Well, you will be. (laughs) I'll guarantee it. Unless you're there after 11. Well, that's the thing. I will be there midday um you know maybe i'll try and slip in late morning and hunt for a little bit then get down yeah. and, and go hey any of any of your neighbors about 10 o'clock on saturday get in there or just yeah. buy the property next to you and be the neighbors <laughs> <laughs> you could do that too you know i think you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do it a little different now and i gotta <laughs> thank john dudley because of that so thank you um yeah and well, i and i also days where i'm if if there's days where I want to like, you know, say you're hunting a spot, there's certainly times where I've had stands in areas that have been productive for many many years, but then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the deer might their movement might change or their pattern might change by a hundred yards or something, even in the timber, and you're like, man, I really need to be over there, kind of by that tree. That's where I'm seeing everything, you know. I, I really like to pick those days where it's just like blistery wind or, you know, without being unsafe, the days where it's just like shedding rain. Those are really good days to make adjustments, you know, because a lot of times the deer are really hunkered down and you can get away with a lot of that stuff. So I, I really do that. If there's times where I need to, like, you know, if I know I need to go into an area and change a set or hang a set, you know, those days where a lot of people feel like, man, I'm not going out today. It's miserable out there. Those are really good days to make adjustments because your likelihood of of a, of a competitive hunter being out are lower, for one, and for two, your opportunity to, like, you know, versus a, a normal quiet morning you, you're going to just do way less damage and obviously if it's a, a nasty rainy day you just you know you get to to wash away a lot of your scent too so that's a great Absolutely. tip yeah, i, I check my trail cameras that way i pay attention to the kind of weather that's coming and do that yeah kind of very stuff. good time for that yeah, yeah to like go pull cards or whatever yeah, you know um this year um, Stealth Cam came out with that little card reader, an iOS card reader mm-hmm. that you plug right into your iPhone. You just download their app, and then you can literally play that thing um, right from your stand. That's so big for me. I can tell you that one thing I do is I have a um, SD, an empty SD card always in my release pouch. And, well, there's there's a couple things I always have a lighter just for, you know, it's kind of been a survival tip. I've always, I've always carry a lighter. I always have an extra battery to my range finder and I have an SD card that I always have those three things in my release pouch. And what I do is I'll go to the, if I'm ever going to a stand where I pass a camera a lot of times once season is really rocking and rolling, I'm not checking my cameras unless I walk by one. And I'll just literally put a new card in it, pull that card out, format the new card that's in it, set it, and keep going to my stand, and then get up in my stand. And, you know, once uh, that kind of lull part of the day starts, I'll get that card out and just kind of scan through. And it's nice now because I don't actually have to have a card reader. I used to have to 
take a little i um a little card reader like those old cutty back ones but right they were pretty slow now now with this little stealth cam ios reader you can just plug it in and just like scroll right through uh it works really really nice to be able to have a good idea for what's coming well, that... i know what i'm buying right uh, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah because i uh yeah it's it's you know, it's too much to sometimes you want to take an iPad out there. Or, That's what I do. I take my know, iPad with the card reader, but I want to use my phone. Yeah, or some guys can't afford, you know, uh, like the, um, you know, I know uh, like Moultrie has the uh, wireless system, but, you know, sometimes that's that's a little bit more expensive than, you know, if I had, I already have the phone, I already have the camera, you know, being able to check it right then and there onto your phone, which is where you're going to want your pictures anyway. I mean, that's huge mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but John, where can people find you? I know, obviously, people already have found you, but where, if they haven't, and they heard for some magical reason, <laughs> found out about you through us, which poor souls. If Welcome that's to your first works. hunting podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Where can people find you? Um. Well, you can go, if you're into hunting and that sort of thing, then you just look up Knock On TV, N-O-C-K-T-V. Um, there's no K at the beginning, just N-O-C-K-O-N-T-V. Um, that's my Instagram and my Facebook page and my Twitter account. Um, you can go to knockontv.com or you can go to Knock on Archery on YouTube and see all my videos and episodes for free. Um, or if you're listening to this podcast, but for some strange reason you don't like dead animals then you can go to the john dudley athlete page and then it's mainly target archery and technique so if someone that doesn't like dead animals made it through this podcast um (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks for tuning in um and uh good good luck to you (laughs) yeah well you know just be sure to go just go like the the instagram page and scroll through because you're going to see a very famous celebrity on there it was when you, I think you were at UFC. I think it was that McGregor fight. So you met Justin Timberlake, one of my idols. So that's awesome. You know, T Bone said that too. Did he really? Yeah. As soon as I made that post, T Bone was texting me. He's like, dude. He's like, I love me some JT. <laughs> that's awesome. You need, since, since apparently you know him, you need to get T Bone in Justin Timberlake's next music video. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> as much as I kind of want to see it, I kind of don't want to see it. I mean, hey, you know, you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad, you know. Yeah, uh, no, people and I we're we're gonna do a podcast together. You know, what's stupid is I've said how many times I want to have guests on. I've like I threatened it a million times on my podcast, but. Um, T-Bone and I, it's just hard, it's hard with people that do a lot of appearances to, like, coordinate schedules, but, yeah, um, you know, T-Bone and I both turned pro together, so we actually, um, we were just lovers to all this type of lifestyle way before anybody, way before it was, like, cool, you know, it was just what everyone did, and, you know, we would we'd be at archery tournaments shooting bows to become better as bow hunters. And, um, you know, I'd, we'd be there and I'd be listening to T-Bone make squirrel calls and stuff. And he does a really good squirrel call. 
We love T-Bone. Like we'll have to ask you about that yep. next time we have him on. I just talked to T-Bone this week, and uh, I talked to him, and then later that afternoon he killed a, a big doe out in, uh, I think he's in Pennsylvania right now. Yeah, and, the, uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And then I also, John, real quick while you're on here, I got to send out, uh, I was just at uh, Mr. Tim Kidd's house. He set up my new Hoyt Defiant for me, and uh, we are we were watching you with his little boy, uh, Logan, and that kid loves you. He loves your show, man. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. But I heard I had one fan. So <laughs> that's him. He can't vote yet, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a fan of yours, no doubt. Well, Tim set up my Hoyt Defiant for me. We're in there messing around in this little shop, and we're sitting down in his living room. And Logan, his little boy, sit on my lap with a book, and I'm reading him this little book. <laughs> and then Tim gets on the DVR and pulls up Knock On, and then right away hops out of my lap, straight up to the TV stand, and is jumping around. And, <laughs> like, all he was saying was Knock On, and I'm like, man, that's, that's incredible, awesome. man. <laughs> like, as soon as your intro came on, he knew exactly what was going on, and he hopped right up. It, it was awesome. I think he sent me a video of that from his phone one time. I think he texted me that because he's like, he's going crazy when he hears your intro music. You know what else is funny? People's dogs, like, I, I've had, we've had so many emails from people that say, our dog goes crazy when it hears the intro to your show. I've got, like, my one buddy in Kansas he had to buy a new TV. The dog, like, pawed the TV to death because it was, like, <laughs> got so excited it would run up the wall oh my and goodness. just, like, jump up to, like, see the TV. And uh, I kind of thought, well, that's that's crazy. You know, my buddy Marty down in Kansas told me that. Well, then all of a sudden, Sharon's like, hey, someone sent an email and said that their dog just goes ballistic <laughs> when the show comes on. And then... You know, it's the same thing. It's either, like, people's kids or dogs. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what I got going for me. Dude, well, I mean, you know, hey, you got to market. You know, you need to need to get either kids' toys and, uh, and dog toys. Dude, the knock-on, yeah, like, it, get get the uh, the logo in a dog, like a dog chew toy. Oh, man, that would kill it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, you're definitely doing big things, John. You're an inspiration. I, I really look up to you so much, and it's just an honor to have you on the podcast. Yeah, we all um, do. Yeah, we always learn sure. learn a thing from you, and I hope we can have you on again. And uh, good luck to you this bow season, man, for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm getting ready to get after it. I'm gonna I'm definitely uh, focused. Focused. I found some cool. Found a couple cool deer, and one of them's on public land. So I really want to get a, a public land deer down here um just to make a statement too so <laughs> yeah we love it we love it in iowa we have a lot of public ground too i love it illinois not yeah. so much yeah well thanks for being on the podcast guys thanks everyone for listening um for listening um good luck to everyone john i hope to have you on again um stick around on the phone but you guys want to add anything real quick before we get off uh just, they, yeah they, go to <laughs> you want me to go? We both want to add something. Go to uh, you know, go find John on all social media. Go to knock on, um, go to his website and go to the store. And he, you have the coolest gear, the best uh, gear. I know. Ever. I've yeah. worn, I've worn out the shirt that uh, that I bought, so I wore it like a hundred and fifty times. Yeah, you in probably like wore thirty five days. So. <laughs> Slept in it how many nights? Oh, many a nights. But uh, yeah, that's all I want to add. Yeah, big thanks again, John. I mean, we all look up to you, and 
Mark, you got anything? Yep. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for putting out all the information that you put out there, John. It helps little guys in Illinois that you don't even know. So super appreciated. Love listening to it. No problem, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. All right, guys, you know what to do. Go shoot your bow. Good luck to you. We love you. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment.